politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow scorned American patriots to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here at Blaze Media, your only source of truly independent conservative news and views. Because frankly, anyone who calls themselves a Republican but a conservative is afflicted with rhino virus. Well, I think I got the rhino virus here, as you could tell in my voice. Kind of those worst days of the cold, the second and third day, where it's both in my throat and in my nose before it becomes fully in the nose. And look, I mean, from what I've seen in my research, this is worse than 95% of coronavirus cases. So we'll see how long I could last today. I just uh, don't have much of a voice with me. And, uh, you know, colds are very disruptive. (laughs) They really are. But we tend to go on with our lives. Yet now we have set this threshold that this is the new normal. Or if you're asymptomatic, the entire world has to be shut down. There is no vision how to stop this. The more time goes on and the more we see charts like we see out of Hawaii, where cases are surging despite them doing everything the media said they wanted to do, they continue to double down on stupidity. It almost reminds me of the story in the Bible, one of the most powerful stories in Kings too. Elijah on Mount Carmel, when he gathers the Israelites and <coughs> proves to them through a test that the God of Abraham is the only true God, all but a few people in the entire land bow down to Baal. And the prophets of Baal were trying to get the fire down so they could show that the sacrifice was working, that God was accepting their sacrifice, their God. And they were screaming out to Baal. And the more it wouldn't work, the more they would cut gashes in their head. That's kind of what they did. And they would bleed out. It was an interesting service back then a pagan service where you would basically self-immolate. Sounds very familiar to what we're doing today. And they kept crying out to Baal, and of course, nothing happened because there is no such thing as a pagan god. There is no other god but the god of Abraham. And that's where we find ourselves today. Except everyone in politics is afflicted with rhinovirus. One of the biggest people that got afflicted, and and this is just kind of going to be a free-for-all Friday. We're going to go through virus stuff. We're going to go through anarchy and crime stuff, all wrapped around the fact that that conservatives are afflicted by this rhino virus where they're attracted to this fake Republican Party as their salvation, as their bail. And there are so many beautiful narratives out there for an alternative party to run on the evil juxtaposition of them shutting us down with no evidence with contrary evidence the crazy stuff that's going on with the virus at the same time them treating criminals and illegal aliens like first class citizens and you never hear this from republicans you hear it from a handful 
of outside conservative figures, mainly on a show like this. You don't hear elected Republicans. You don't even hear the president doing this. So a couple things. We saw last night, once again, as I warned earlier this week, we have no place in the party. You can't win a primary. Manny Sethi lost in Tennessee to Bill Haggerty. So we're going to get another rhino. Here's the sick irony. Haggerty was a delegate for Jeb Bush. He is a longtime friend and advisor to Mitt Romney. And yet Trump endorsed him. <coughs> Haggerty ran all these ads saying how Sethi is the real liberal. And he had more money. And he had Trump's backing. So he won. Trump was supposed to solve the rhino problem. Instead, he spread the, the, the disease worse than anyone else did. So that's just another example of what I told you. We can never win in this party. Then you travel north to Ohio, Mike DeWino, the biggest rhino ever. So you had the news out from yesterday that he tested positive for coronavirus. Breaking news. Then we had the breaking news that, well, he tested negative. See, it turns out that Mike DeWino was a little bit upset. I don't want to be isolated and quarantined. I'm asymptomatic. I don't feel anything. Let's get a better test that better vets out the RNA behind this to see if I really have the SARS-CoV-2 virons that cause COVID-19. So they did a better test. And it turned out it was negative. And the thought crossed my mind, this is the same man promoting the fascism. And I don't know if it's lost on him, his own experience, or if it's not, and he's just an SOB and doesn't care. If we see this so ubiquitous that even the governor of a state had this, how many other people who tested positive were false positives? One study out of Connecticut shows a false positive rate of a certain type of PCR test at 30%. It's bogus. That's why you're seeing America, if you adjust, and a lot of our friends, if you follow me on Twitter at Arm Conservative, you'll see a lot of the people that I'm with. We have this working group, and I retweet some of their charts. They have shown that if you adjust the testing rate. We're no different than those other countries. It seems like we're worse than anywhere. It's just that we tested like anything. So A, we discovered more that was silently there, asymptomatic that other countries didn't care about because there's frankly no reason to care about it. And also, there's obviously a lot of false positives going on. But if you go to a testing center and and you test positive, You have no due process. You're forced to quarantine at the force of law. They'll contact trace you. By the way, another $16 billion in the GOP bill for this uh, Chinese fascism called contact tracing. And yet the governor who is imposing this on his subjects in Ohio He himself gets his own due process, and he gets to test again when he thinks it's suspicious. Again, there's a two-tiered justice system. There's a two-tiered corona fascism system, right? One, if you're an illegal criminal, 
you get let out while we get locked down. The blood libels matter, rioting, and one for everyone else. So this is another very important thing to recognize. I've said this all along. It's estimated that 80,000 people died in the pandemic flu of two years ago that nobody ever heard of, but it happened just because the media didn't tell you about it. We've read before articles about hospitals being strained, not overrun. They weren't overrun this time, but their surge capacity had to be used. They set up tents. ERs were standing room only. No one heard about it. And I noted that Imagine if we would have tested like a bunch of nutcases in 2018 for the flu like we're testing now. Back then, we test, we test now in one day about 750,000, some days 800,000, about as many as we tested the entire four months of that flu season. Had we tested to that degree back then, we would have had more cases, if you know what I mean. A, we would have discovered more than what was there. B, we would have had false positives and therefore because 55,000 people die every week of all things and when you have a pandemic flu a good number of people have it well you have more flu deaths just like you have more COVID deaths we are being scammed we're being scammed about the nature of the threat the severity of the threat and the ability of human beings to mitigate it and also the obfuscation of all of the collateral damage and the people dying from isolation, suicide, atrophy, drug overdoses, missed medical care, a generation of terrorized children. There's nothing new about this phenomenon of garbage PCR testing. There's nothing new about it. Let me read to you a fascinating article from the New York Times, January 22nd, 2007. It's about a whooping cough epidemic that occurred in America. Well, it occurred in in a hospital in Dartmouth. Except it really didn't occur. The article is titled, if you want to look it up, it's New York Times by Gina Colada with a K, K O L A T A. Faith in quick test leads to epidemic that wasn't. Dr. Brooke Herndon, an internist at Dart- Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center, could not stop coughing. For two weeks starting in mid April last year, this is 2006, she coughed seemingly nonstop, followed by another week when she coughed sporadically, annoying, she said, everyone who worked with her. Before long, Dr. Catherine Kirkland, an infectious disease specialist at Dartmouth, had a chilling thought. Could she be seeing the start of a whooping cough epidemic? By late April, other healthcare workers at the hospital were coughing, and severe intractable coughing is a whooping cough hallmark. And if it was whooping cough, the epidemic had to be contained immediately because the disease could be deadly to babies in the hospital and could lead to pneumonia in the frail and vulnerable adult patients there. It was the start of a bizarre episode at the medical center, the story of the epidemic that wasn't. For months, nearly everyone involved thought the medical center had had a huge whooping cough outbreak with extensive ramifications. Nearly 1,000 healthcare workers at the hospital in Lebanon, New Hampshire, were given a preliminary test and furloughed from work until their results were in. 142 people, including Dr. Herndon, 
were told they appeared to have the disease, and thousands were given antibiotics and a vaccine for protection. Hospital beds were taken out of commission, including some in, in intensive care. Then, about eight months later, healthcare workers were dumbfounded to receive an email message from the hospital administration informing them that the whole thing was a false alarm. Not a single case of whooping cough was confirmed with a definitive, definitive test growing the bacterium Bordetella pertussis in the laboratory. Instead, it appears the healthcare workers probably were afflicted with ordinary respiratory diseases like the freaking common cold that I have right now. Now, as they look back on the episode, epidemiologists and infectious disease specialists say the problem was that they placed too much faith in a quick and highly sensitive molecular test that led them astray. Infectious disease experts say such tests are coming into increasing use and maybe the only way to get a quick answer in diagnosing diseases like whooping cough and bird flu, TB, and SARS, and deciding whether an epidemic is underway. There are no national data or on, on pseudoepidemics caused by an over-reliance on such molecular tests, said Dr. Trish Pearl, an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins and past president of the Society of Healthcare Epidemiologists of America, but she said pseudoepidemics happen all the time. The Dartmouth case may have been one of the largest, but it was by no means an exception. There was a similar whooping cough scare at a children's hospital in Boston last fall that involved 36 adults and two children. Definitive tests, though, did not find pertussis. It's a problem. We know it's a problem, Dr. Pearl said. My guess is that what happened in Dartmouth is going to become more common. Many of the new molecular tests are quick but technically demanding, and each laboratory laboratory may do them in its own way. <clears throat> These tests called home brews are not commercially available and there are no good estimates of their error rates, but their very sensitive their but their <clears throat> their very sensitivity makes false positives likely and when hundreds of or thousands of people are tested, hundreds or thousands. Folks, I just want you to think while you're while I'm reading this to you, I think what is it, 40, 50 million tests we've had on COVID? And when hundreds of or thousands of people are tested, as occurred at Dartmouth, false positives can make it seem like there's an epidemic. You're in a little bit of no man's land with the new molecular test, said Dr. David Perkin, Mark Perkins, an infectious disease specialist and chief scientific officer at the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics. All bets are off on exact performance. It's unbelievable. At Dartmouth, the decision was to use a test, PCR. Okay? Polymerase chain reaction. It is a molecular test that until recently was confined to molecular biology laboratories. That's kind of what's happening, said Dr. Catherine Edwards, an infectious disease specialist, professor of pediatrics at Vanderbilt. That's the reality out there. We are trying to figure out how to use methods that have been the purview of bench scientists. Folks, it's a long article. <clears throat> they talk about these PCR tests. Ask yourself this question. With what, what we're approaching 5 million or something confirmed positives, how many of them are false? How many lives have been shut down for nothing? And, and, and they were talking about a small scale. 
when you take something that was supposed to be very laboratory intensive and you have a pressure and a rush, forget about anything in, in, in insidious. The fact that we have the panic porn and the politics, that everything is tainted. But even just in a perfect world <coughs> where people are trying to do what's right, could you imagine the degree of, 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 false, of, of false positives that you're going to have? Has anyone ever thought about the ramifications of that as we reopen schools and we're going to test people like a bunch of idiots? Because this is the first time we rely on a fictitious alternative world rather than the reality in front of our eyes. Typically, when you rely on testing, it's because it's backed up by symptoms and the testing is kind of just like one portion of it. But here, most people are asymptomatic. Most people who are symptomatic feel less um, disturbed than I do right now from this presumed cold. Very small portion get a flu-like thing and really, really, you know, a tiny percentage of immunocompromised people get that very severe pneumonia that could be deadly. And that's what you treat. That's what you deal with. We never dealt with an entire society as a flu or a cold to try to block it and treat it and hospitalize it and obsess it and test for it. Much less when more than ever before, the majority of those people actually have less symptoms or no symptoms. We've never done that before. Here we see this with a governor. The very governor that's obsessing about these unconstitutional edicts and testing. This is not going to change his view on it. Why don't we have the president and his team giving a presentation on this? It's because we have no voice. When you look at kids, almost all of them asymptomatic or very mild, you know, fatigue for two or three days, <coughs> fewer deaths than the flu and the few that there are are often very murky. We find that every day now. It's extremely murky. And the reality is that even those who do die, they're very, very seriously ill. So it's a very defined population. You could say, okay, the, the, they won't go to school. Whereas with the flu, the rare kids that do die from the flu, they often I mean, there, there, there's been plenty of cases that they were perfectly fine. CNN wrote about this the last se the flu season. You know, I want to share with you from a private school, private school in um, <coughs> where, I, where I live. I have a niece that, that attends this school. They sent out a whole thing about their reopening. And the more I think about it, I think I actually want schools to be shut. The worst thing we can do is get brainwashed into a new normal. I want it to be black and white. I want people to finally fight and wake up and realize this because my fear is if they kind of make it functional but brainwash us, we will never get our freedom back.
more and more I'm thinking that strategically. This is a private school. Their question is, how will students be able to navigate these rules and procedures? They, they put out a Q&A fact sheet. And this is part of mandating that kids as young as first grade have to wear a mask all day. They say, we're going to have a mask recess every 45 minutes. Now, that's an admission that it's making your lungs work harder. It obviously is some degree of problem. So how is that okay then? How are you going to learn? See, this is what I told my wife when I was adamant that we're pulling our kids out of the boys' school. And I said, it's not just the masks. I mean, that is a red line for me. But I said, the entire school, they're not going to learn because you're disoriented. And the entire school day is now going to become about this. It's not like, okay, we do our rituals and now we're done. Let's go learn math. Let's learn science. Let's le No. It's going to be an obsession. The entire purpose of the schooling is going to be the new Corona pagan cult. So listen to this answer. Quote, a heavy emphasis will be placed on student education. Students will be inculcated. I'm not kidding you. They use that word. Students will be inculcated with the understanding of the importance of distancing, mask wearing, hand washing, and other mitigation factors and strategies. The school's caring faculty have the capability of teaching this in a non-alarming fashion and will work with the students to make them comfortable with this new reality. Man, is that creepy. <coughs> Why don't we have a Republican Party speaking to the mental and emotional abuse of our kids? Why don't we have a party speaking to the failures of these policies? Why don't we have a party speaking to the lies of the severity of this virus? The evidence is overwhelming. I could run a show 24-7 and have new, new material every day. What is wrong with this pathetic party? What is wrong with them? We have nowhere to go. Nobody to turn to. What is it that we're going to do? Again, right now in this country, there is no epidemic. It peaked already. And by the way, if you adjust per capita, you add Arizona... Texas and Florida, some of you might have seen me retweet these charts. They're way less than the curve of New Jersey. <laughs> and that's the joke here. Did you know our buddy Kyle Lamb, we have him on the show from time to time. We had him on earlier this week. He put out an amazing table from CDC <coughs> They break down the country. FEMA breaks down our country into 10 regions. And if you look at deaths per million, okay, and a percentage of all-cause deaths, so basically the key here is that there's something called an epidemic threshold. And it does depend on the time of year, but typically the epidemic threshold has to be about 6%. In other words, that that virus, that thing 
is responsible for 6% of weekly all-cause deaths. <coughs> In order to account for or to be classified as an epidemic. And he put out this graphic and he found that technically this is this has not been an epidemic in 6 out of the 10 regions. So one region is New York, New Jersey and and Pennsylvania. Where is that Puerto Rico? So Puerto Rico included region 2 24.6%. So that, you know, that everyone agrees it was, it was an epidemic. You, you rope in the rest of the Northeast, New England, really New England, 16.8%. Okay. You, you, you rope in the mid-Atlantic, West Virginia, Virginia, but really mainly Pennsylvania, Maryland, DC, Delaware, 9.2%. Okay. So that was like moderate. The only other region that went over it was 7.6%, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio. And again, that's mainly driven by that outbreak in the Detroit area. You go down from it now. Now, again, this is two weeks old. So some of the numbers in the south are going to go up, but I don't know if they'll ever even reach it. You go down to Arkansas, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. 6.1%. And again, the big big one there was Louisiana. They had that outbreak in, in New Orleans. California, Arizona, Hawaii, Nevada, 6.2%. Of course, Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, 3%. Barely got anything. Colorado, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, 4.4%. Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, 3.6%. And then you look at the South... Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, 4.9%. That, you know, might go up, but I don't think it's going to cross the epidemic threshold. I want you guys to keep that in mind here. It's not going to even cross the epidemic threshold if you look at all-cause deaths. <coughs> That's unbelievable. That's truly unbelievable. This was very localized, very much driven by nursing home policies, and it was very heterogeneous. And frankly, had we treated it like the heterogeneous threat it was and targeted our quarantine for those people while doing what Sweden did, we would have been done with it quicker. And we would have saved more lives from COVID, much less. I mean, you saw the paper I put out this week. If you just look at the economic activity lost through June, in the long run, that's going to cause 137,000 deaths through despair, suicide, drug overdoses, stress-related heart attacks, (coughs) and things like that. Where is the Republican narrative? Where are we seeing it? (coughs) Is it that hard to articulate these views? Another thing, again, I'm just going to jump around randomly. This is from the UK government, Public Health of England, June 26 of this year. They did a 10-page report on masks. 
and they note that really there's no good clinical studies on it. And they conclude, quote, there is weak evidence from observational modeling studies that that community-wide mask wearing may contribute to reducing the spread of COVID. Okay. That's what it was. You want to look at what people thought before they went crazy? There's an infectious disease expert from UCLA in February. was quoted in the LA Times. Dr. Jeffrey Klausner. Fear spreads a lot faster than the virus. A mask makes you feel better, but you're missing the more important protective measures. Isn't it sad that the media now drives medical decisions in this country? Seeing the same thing with the thing with hydroxychloroquine, it's it's very scary that we are actually regressing. Because this has become such a religious sacrament, it has to trump science. You look at the fatality rates, they're plummeting. They're plummeting because we're discovering that this was more ubiquitous. Per capita, the number of deaths in Florida, (coughs) there's this guy that, um, maybe I'll work on this next week a little bit, but he tried to Estimate the inferred infection fatality rate by state. Most of them are around 0.2. Florida is like 0.18 at this juncture. Because remember, the big fatality rate that juices up the numbers is the New York, New Jersey area in March and April. However, you understand what was going on then that never replicated itself elsewhere. Again, even there, you look at New York City data, ultimately, ultimately, like 98% of the people who died had at least one comorbidity, like 88 or 90% had two or more comorbidities. So, you know, it was a similar story. But anecdotally, I have heard there were, I mean, I had someone in the family who are people that seem to get more serious cases of it than elsewhere. Whether it's the vitamin D levels there whether it was a, a, a virulent viral load that kept being re-triggered and passed around. Obviously, you had nosocomial spread. You had the panic. It's hard to reinvent the wheel after four or five months of panic. <laughs> but why didn't we have a party and a movement making this case from day one? As we have been doing here. Sorry about the coughing there. Boy, I better not go outside. Um, I'm, I'm kind of losing my wind here a little bit. And we'll have to come back to this next week. But I just want to switch gears a little bit to the crime. But it's not really switching gears because, again, it all ties back into corona fascism. What if the American people would know that we have released... Over 100,000 criminals under this, uh, while everyone is locked down under the science of stopping the spread when there's actually a lower fatality rate in prisons. California plans to release another 18,000. Washington Post. Released from jail at height of pandemic, Virginia rape suspect 
allegedly kills his accuser. The incident in Carla Dominguez's apartment last October was violent and it was not consensual. She testified in Alexandria District Court in December. The man she accused was indicted on charges included rape, strangulation, and abduction, and jailed without bond in Alexandria. Then the coronavirus pandemic hit. Ibrahim E. Uh, Boyachi, whatever, his lawyers argued that the virus was a danger to both inmates and their attorneys and that Boichi should be freed awaiting trial. On April 9th, over the objections of an Alexandria prosecutor, Dirtbag Circuit Court Judge Nolan Dawkins released Boichi on 25,000 bond. Can you imagine someone who violently raped and strangled a woman let out on 25,000 bond with the condition that he only leave his Maryland home to meet with his lawyers? On July 29th, Alexandria police say Boachi 33 returned to Alexandria and shot and killed Dominguez outside her apartment. When police couldn't find Boichi after the slaying, they issued a video news release asking for the public's health, help in locating him, declaring him armed and dangerous. Then on Wednesday morning, federal marshals and Alexandria police spotted him in PG County, Maryland, pursued him, causing Boichi to crash. <coughs> <coughs> And when they went to arrest him, they apparently they found he apparently shot himself. And he's in grave condition. Of course, we're going to spend a bunch of money trying to save him. Folks, how come we didn't have a Republican Party for five months saying what I've been saying? How come the first round of Corona bailouts and, and certainly even now that they're still negotiating another round? And in the upcoming budget bill for fiscal year 2021, didn't Trump build a narrative every day? I will not give funding to states releasing these people. The American people don't even know this is going on. How do you win an election when you don't have a narrative? And also, it's a broader narrative of this business of people being released without bond or on low bond. As we talked about from a prosecutor in in, uh, upstate New York, Sandra Dorley, a friend of mine, we had her on the show. One of the biggest problems they have now, they've always had this, but it's worse than ever. I, I asked her, why is it that they can never land a conviction? They always have to take these ridiculous plea bargains, and you wind up having like a gangbanger who had a 50 gun charges and robberies and rape, and now now he's like, you know, accused of murder. And it winds up being like third degree murder and he gets like two years despite all that. And she's like, we can't get witnesses. We can't get the victims. They're scared. So what the left did with this bond release, it wasn't just a jailbreak. To have them out pending trial is a way of ensuring they don't go to prison. It's not a bug to what they're doing. It's a feature. I mean, you could win back the suburban vote on this alone. Yet Republicans are so damn stupid. Then we have what's worse than needlessly releasing our own criminals, harboring and releasing other countries' criminals, and giving them amnesty status. A lot of you might have seen the article out yesterday. Feds charge 11 MS-13 members with sex trafficking of a 13-year-old girl. This is also in actually Alexandria, Virginia. It's a hotbed for MS-13. MS-13 lurks around on both sides of D.C. 
Isn't that ironic? We have the worst illegal alien gangs on both sides of the nation's capital. And basically, she was beaten twice with a baseball bat, struck 26 times on each occasion. Um, the first time the 13-year-old girl was beaten with a baseball bat, it was part of initiation into MS-13. The second time, an individual based in El Salvador sanctioned the beating. He believed she was fraternizing with the 18th Street gang and her punished and and her punished for other bad things. He had her punished. He wanted to watch the assault live and said she peed herself when it happened. An examination after recovery showed she had endured blunt force trauma to her lower back, buttocks, and thighs. Thirteen-year-old girl. So a lot of you might have seen that, but I have a source in the White House that has sent me something more. 10 of the 11 are illegal aliens with detainers on them. Okay? Five of them were resettled in the country, you guessed it, as UACs, unaccompanied alien children. We treated them as as refugees. You could not have written a story plot as evil as this. We take the worst, most dangerous youth of the world and we treat them as refugees and resettle them so they could do this stuff in America. One is from El Salvador and has TPS, Temporary Protected Status. I don't know, folks. Many days I wonder if this is just too irremediably broken. Which is why, harking back to yesterday's show with Sheriff Mark Lamb of Pinal County, we need to pick the top 30% of good counties. Move there, focus there, fortify them, and essentially do what, do what the left's doing. You know, de Blasio's out there putting up Roadblocks, checkpoints, we'll do the same. <clears throat> Create our own neo-confederacy like they, like they do. I don't mean in the theme of the confederacy, but you get my point. The left's creating a neo-confederacy for certain races, for, for illegal aliens, for certain causes, crushing the liberties of Americans. Well, why don't we do the opposite? Another example of Americans being treated as second-class citizens. The Justice Department is lifting global travel warnings amid coronavirus pandemic. So as they're out there, like the prophets of Baal, ripping their skin, we need more. You're going to wear a mask on your two-year-old kid. You're going to wear it in the shower. We'll beat you. We'll arrest you. You're shut down. (coughs) We'll inculcate you. Well, what's the single biggest thing you can do to prevent a spread? International travel, because every country gets a certain epidemiological curve, and you don't want to re-import another country's curve. Well, we already did that in Mexico. It's from the Hill.com. The State Department on Thursday lifted its global warming, a global warning for U.S. citizens 
traveling internationally amid the coronavirus pandemic, saying it would rate countries on a case-by-case basis. Interesting. Why is that more sacred than domestic? The U.S. has banned entry to travelers from China, the U.K., Northern Ireland, the EU, (coughs) Brazil, and Iran. Notice one country that's not on there, Mexico. You could not possibly live in a more sickening and immoral country than we live in today. I'm sorry. It's very hard to feel proud of this country when it is so backwards, so mixed up, good and evil, right and wrong, science, God. And again, more and more we are seeing how the science is God's way of running the world. And that's the thing. But getting back to what we started off the beginning of the show, this testing, someone just sent me one of our Facebook fans, 35 Mercer students test positive for coronavirus before fall classes. This is what they're going to do. But here's the sick irony. Quote, this is from MSN.com. Most are asymptomatic while some have mild symptoms. (laughs) And I bet it's milder than what I have. I feel miserable today. I mean, you guys know that when you get that like seven to 10 day cold, which for my wife and middle son who got it, it seems like it's the long one, long version. Like there's a couple days, you know, I'd rather have just fever for a couple days than this where I don't have fever, but if you just feel miserable. So, I mean, this is less than a cold. And we're now treating every case like it's pancreatic cancer. You can't live like this. We have to pray to God for some sort of delivery, some sort of guidance. But one thing that will not change is doing the same thing we've been doing, which is putting our faith into a bogus Republican Party, putting our faith into President Trump without pressuring him. You know, someone had a good line on Twitter. They called me and Tucker Carlson better Trumpers. You have never Trumpers, better Trumpers. Demand better. Demand that he doesn't need to reform and reboot his original campaign promises. He needs to fulfill the first promises and be consistent about it. I know there are some good people that have gone to the White House. Unfortunately, I'm not seeing much of a difference yet. I don't know how much more of this, you know. Oh my gosh, if Joe Biden wins, then it's it's like game over. Really? Isn't it game over now? If anything, and again, I I don't want him to win. I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden, of course. I'm just telling you, if anything, we're actually going to, we're actually going to go ahead And um, I don't know. At this point, at least you'll have Republican states fighting back. I'm just saying, if anything, you'll have some sort of opposition. Whereas now there's a complete paralysis. So let's strategize together at Miniman Speakeasy. 
in the comment section on our public page, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. I'm sorry for being just a little bit slow and uh, coughing today, but hopefully by Monday we'll be back in the saddle. We've had a terrific week, a lot of lots of good content you could see at Conservative Review. We'll also have an article um, on the Florida data from my buddy, Dr. Andy Bostom. He'll have an article as well, so check it out at our homepage. Have a terrific weekend. Once again, stay armed, stay knowledgeable, and stay empowered.